0: You're listening to The Really Useful Podcast. This is still the tech podcast for technophobes from MakeUseOf.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley and with me this week is uh, Mr. Gavin Phillips. How are you, Gavin?
1: Oh, I'm great Christian actually I went to a, a wedding this weekend in, ah. uh, in Warwickshire um, right? and it was very 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 good there were no dramas so I don't know if you put that in the good or the bad column because sometimes uh, <laughs> a wedding day drama kind of makes the day but in this case it was in the good column um, and it was uh, fantastic to see all my family uh, and how about yourself?
0: Uh, My weekend consisted mainly of driving people from A to B So uh, it was just a general parent weekend I'm interested in uh, Warwickshire I don't think I've ever been to Warwickshire
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful county, it really is Uh, It wasn't right in the heart of it It was more towards the, it was near Coventry um, Mm. But yeah, really, really lovely place Lovely venue uh, and lovely people So what more could you want?
0: Yeah, absolutely Absolutely Lovely, lovely. Glad to hear that. Uh, so we're back for another podcast. Uh, we uh, took an unscheduled break last week uh, for various reasons, but did you know, Gavin, that it is the fifth anniversary of the Really Useful Podcast this week?
1: No way! That's yes,
0: incredible! Yes! I couldn't believe it myself when I, uh, our hosting service uh, popped up and said, it's your fifth anniversary. I'm like, wow! Excellent! <laughs>
1: Ah, oh, we've done well there. Go us.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to uh, crack on with our usual format of tech news that affects you, that matters, and then we've got some tips and tricks, and then hopefully some recommendations from Gavin and myself to uh, give you something to think about, maybe put on your wish list, etc., etc. We're going to kick off with... Uh, is perhaps for me the most exciting news which is the launch of the raspberry pi 5 which is coming along in october the little credit card sized computer has had an upgrade i mean it's been a few years now since the raspberry pi 4 that system itself is a desktop replacement it has the capability it's an affordable system you know 60 80 that will replace a standard desktop pc The Raspberry Pi 5 is uh, ramping things up a little bit more than that. Just to give you a quick overview, it has a um, 64-bit quad-core CPU at 2.4 GHz. It comes with a choice of 4 or 8 GB. It has microSD support, 2 micro HDMI ports, uh, 2 USB 3 and 2 USB 2 ports, and it has... uh, wi-fi six and bluetooth five now the interesting thing of for me it's a slight disappointment it doesn't have on board emmc which i was really expecting because a lot of the competitor boards do have that but this is a device that is you know perfect for retro gaming for building your own media center building your own home server it's got everything you need right there in that little package although you might want to add some external storage
1: Um, I think something you touched on there is the bit that I'm most excited about, Christian, is its use in retro gaming and gaming Mm -hmm. handhelds because the Raspberry Pi has become so central to that whole movement, hasn't it? and the Raspberry Pi 5's massively improved specs. I mean, the Raspberry Pi 4 was great anyway, yeah. but the Pi 5 is going to make this completely different. It's going to step everything up, and we're going to see like much better specs and much better capabilities when you play all those games. So, yeah, that's something to really look forward to, I think.
0: Yeah. Now, it's available now for pre-order. I've got my order in, uh, although they're not going to be shipping until the end of October unless you were fortunate enough to uh, get a code from the, um, the official Raspberry Pi magazine, Magpie. But, uh, yeah, that's one to uh, keep an eye on, uh, especially given the uh, chip shortage over the past few years. The arrival of the Pi 5 has kind of been held up. Uh, I, As I say, the eMMC uh, storage is a bit of a... I do f- feel that's a bit of a letdown. I'm sure there's a very good reason for it. Maybe they found that SDR-104 was... Uh, microSD was more reliable than eMMC, I don't know, but... Uh, That aside, uh, that's coming along, so uh, that has possibilities and potential for all manner of uh, electronics projects and uh, enthusiast activities. Uh, Now, moving on to some security news, Uh, Snapchat's Snap AI chatbot has been uh, called a possible risk to children's privacy by the UK's Data Watchdog, and the Information Commissioner's Office, which Is part of the uk government says that it could um close down the my ai feature after a preliminary investigation and uh that's kind of bad news for snapchat and also for uh the use of sort of uh, generative ai and personal ai tools isn't it
1: it is yes but i think part of this is generally focused on the user base of snapchat and it's relative Young age, so um, predominant users of Snapchat eighteen to twenty four year olds, Mm -hmm. and you know often much younger than that as well. I know my um, thirteen year old daughter has a Snapchat account. Unfortunately, we do monitor and check what she's up to, but you know all of her friends are on it, etc., etc. And so I have talked to her about this, uh, my AI tool, and explained to her just a bit more in detail about what it's doing and what it does with the information she gives it Mm -hmm. um but it does raise those privacy issues and while i don't think this tool is going to be outright banned it is something that all generative ai tools are going to have to contend with um in the coming months and years which is how is user data being used after it's put into the machines because currently we don't have a lot of information on that do we
0: no, we don't. Just to um f- for our listeners, for the purposes of explaining to our listeners, what information is um the my AI tool handling?
1: Well, anything that you put into the my AI tool could theoretically be kept and held by Snapchats. The most of it would, I guess, is going to be used for training the tool to be better and more yeah. accurate but the tool the mayor that the my ai tool is run by or uses chat gpts gpt4 um, large language models so it's basically the same sort of tool but yeah. snapchat have made some tweaks to it and what have you the thing with it is is that kids of that age aren't necessarily thinking about the implications of questions they might ask it and whether that would be linked to their user profile in the long run. Um, but that said, most adults aren't doing that either. So, hmm. <laughs> you know, you obviously yeah. have to protect the kids from something they don't understand. But there's a general lack of information about what these tools are doing. Yeah. Um, and starting with kids is often a useful place to begin.
0: Absolutely. We will um, move on to a similar topic, AI facial recognition. Now, uh, this is a problem around the world. The UK has uh, just uh, managed to uh, get its head out of the sand on this. And uh, a group of politicians and privacy campaigners are concerned that um, it's going a little bit too far and that police and private companies should immediately stop the use of facial recognition surveillance. Uh, AI facial recognition. What is that all about? Because is is that is that simply comparison, or is there something more going on there?
1: It's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, pro protests for years have had facial recognition tools used to track and monitor people that turn up to protests. They want to track people who regularly turn up, the sort of ringleaders or whatnot, if you will. That um, it's being used in general life uh to see what people are up to all of the time i mean the uk is as we know one of the most surveilled countries uh, and populaces in the world uh, bar a few others yeah um but where that information goes and how it's used i mean we're never gonna know are we it's no. one of those. well i
0: i mean it seems to me that they it's the use of facial images in the, as in order to you know populate a learning machine. In the same way we use data to do it, to create things like uh, ChatGPT, OpenAI. Uh, the UK isn't the only country that's concerned about this. The European uh, Union um, has issued uh, concerns about this. There are uh, movements all around the world, s- some of which are parliamentary government-based, or uh, but not anything that seems to be affecting policy or having any genuine impact um US lawmakers and privacy advocates have been challenging uh, the technology in the USA uh we've even I think there's even concerns about its use in Russia uh and in Australia and all sorts of places and it is a kind of this is one of the problems this is this is this is, this is an international conversation which unfortunately is um not being given the attention that it deserves and probably won't be which is, you know, given that everything else is happening in the world, this isn't the thing that's at the top. It's not a very interesting or sexy topic for, for, for newspapers, is it? So this isn't something that's going to be hugely discussed. That's the reality.
1: No, absolutely. And no matter how you broach conversations like this, the onus always falls back to, well, it's for public safety. And when you have conversations like that, that can fall back to that basic level of we have to do this because it protects people, especially at um, large events, say. Um, For example, it was used in the the United Kingdom this year for King Charles' coronation. So the argument is we have to use this because this is an an event that could have people that want to disrupt or, or, or do worse. But it stops people from creating and holding different opinions to it because people simply say well why don't you want to protect people and it's well there's a lot of other issues at sway here but you're shouted down because it seems that yeah you you're actually advocating people to get hurt or you're advocating these events to have disruption and whatnot
0: okay and we're going to move on now to a story that we would have brought you last week but didn't it is the new Chromebook Plus specification. What is this, Gavin? I mean, it's clearly a new Chromebook, but uh, how, how how does this change things for in the Chromebook world?
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, Christian. So, this, this idea of a of a of a premium tier Chromebook has been floated around for a while. The mm. project was previously called Chromebook X and uh, Chrome, uh, Google have now released it as a uh, Chromebook Plus. Um, that's not to be confused with the previous line of Samsung Plus Chromebook models. They're, they're separate different things. But Chromebook Plus advocates, um, or specifies, sorry, a minimum hardware level. So um, a Chromebook Plus will have a minimum of an Intel Core i3 12th gen, uh, or a similar AMD Ryzen, CPU, at least 8 gigabytes of RAM, 128 gig storage, a 1080p plus webcam, uh, and a full HD IPS screen. So those things combined do make the Chromebook Plus specification quite good, actually. Yeah. But, but it begs the question for me, Christian, is at what point is Chromebook not a Chromebook anymore? Because these specs are pushing it more and more towards just being a regular laptop, aren't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm seeing here. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's a lot of, many people have raised these sort of questions. like, So it means that Chromebooks uh, in the Chromebook Plus category are, are better than ever, way more powerful. But if you have to spend, say, $600 or so, I think that's one of the top tier ones I've seen, you could probably get an equivalent regular Windows laptop that, does all of that maybe and more. So it's a tricky balance, I think.
0: It is. There's also the question of uh, whether you might not just buy something in a different... Why not buy one of those um, Swish Samsung tablets or even a Google tablet?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be more uh,
0: portable, arguably more flexible in some ways. Um, Yeah. On the other hand... It's a Linux computer, so I'm not complaining too much.
1: No, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Chromebook Plus specification will also feature some software enhancements as well. So it's getting uh, the Magic Eraser Feature, which you've seen on uh, various Android models, where you can erase bits of background and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and future updates to Chromebook Plus models will bring AI-powered tools, um, like, like a... Like, uh, what's the Google's uh, thing called? Google Bard, sorry. Will be integrated more closely into Chrome OS in the future and, and that sort of stuff.
0: Now, this is a standard, isn't it, the Chromebook Plus?
1: Yes, it is, yes.
0: It's being launched uh, a couple of days ago, on October the 8th, uh, as we record this. Um, but apparently there's a few already going on to the market. And um, there's systems from Lenovo, Asus, Acer, and HP. Are there any other manufacturers getting on board later on? Do we know yet?
1: I think think there will be later on uh but these were the manufacturers that launched new models on the day so yeah maybe we'll see samsung doing something later because they've always had success with uh chromebook models um but yeah those are the ones that launched and as we were saying so the, the prices sort of range from three four nine i think is the cheapest one all the way up to six nine nine that's dollars so you do get some really good hardware so the $699 model so HP Chromebook plus x360 14 inch um, with an Intel Core i5 onboard graphics up to 16 gig RAM 512 SSD 512 gig SSD so it's it's good specs but whether you could put that $700 elsewhere and get something better leaves me me wondering quite a lot
0: Now, fake storage has been a growing issue over the past few years. It's something that's kind of seemed to have kicked off mainly in the uh, the, the SD card area, and the USB stick area, but it's something that's uh, spreading into SSDs, isn't it?
1: Yeah, this is really interesting, isn't it? Um, finding out that your really expensive flashy SSD is actually just a few micro SD cards stuck together (laughs) yeah that
0: was one of the uh surprises wasn't it yeah that's um um i I think the main thing here is um how do they fool a system or well i mean there's there's one there's two ways isn't there's two key ways there's basically listing something on uh, you know an auction site or whatever say this is a one gigabyte drive and you plug it it turns out to be two five six megabytes or whatever um i've probably got my scales wrong there they say it's a one terabyte drive (laughs) <laughs> and it turns out to be two hundred and fifty-six gigabytes. And you think, oh, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting seventy-five percent less storage here than what's advertised. There's that. And then there's the actual hardware hack, isn't there? Where you plug something in, it says it's one gigabyte, and, and I'm, I'm going back to those figures now because I'm thinking every time this happened to me with a USB stick, and it turns out to be something like two hundred sixteen megabytes. And you think, well, yes. what the hell's going on here? And that, that that's yeah. that's that's kind of a hardware hack, isn't it? That um that, that where, where the um the the, the boot area, for want of a better term, of the um, device fools the computer.
1: Yeah, basically, yeah, they've um, they've effectively hacked the um, drive controller. <clears throat> excuse me, which is the bit that tells the computer what's going on and yeah. communicates how much data is going back and forth and what have you. And um, people that sell it um, hack it and say. Make it look like this drive is one terabyte instead of uh, 256 gig or or whatever it is. Um, And the big issue with that is, Christian, is that if you get one of those drives, A, you won't notice straight away. And B, is if you start copying data to it and you go over the actual allotted amount of data on the drive, so say you copy. 250. Uh, sorry, 500 gigabytes to a 256 gig drive. Uh, it will just go back to the beginning and start overwriting the oh, data good you put onto it. Yeah, so you could be making a very important backup of all your family photos or something like that. You take the drive out, and you've only got half of them because you've overwritten your own data.
0: That's insane. It doesn't even stop and tell you this is running out of space. It just carries no. on from the beginning.
1: Yeah, it just loops back around. Wow. But spotting these drives, though, I mean, there are ways you can do it, but I don't think it's always simple. So there are some ways you can do it. So you can read the fine print on the drive and the drive packaging. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's often sort of telltale signs that you would get elsewhere in the world, like an unnamed company you've never heard of trying to sell a 512 gig drive with amazing specs, but it only costs 10 bucks. So that's normally a dead giveaway in many walks of life, isn't it? Something way better than it should be. And there's a good chance that means it's fake. Another thing you can do is to have a look at the hardware. So sometimes on these fake drives, the hardware just doesn't feel right. Uh, The quality of the casing or the enclosure of the drive may feel a bit soft or... Maybe it's not quite joined together right, or you might even see something like, like glue or something around the edges right. where someone sort of had to stick it together after they 3D printed it or something. Oh, good lord! And that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then um, the other way is um, with software analysis. So you plug the drive into your computer, and one way of doing it would be um you transfer just some regular files nothing important and see if it matches the drive specification on the outside of the case and if it's transferring massively slower than it should be it could be an indicator that the drive is fake
0: wow it's just one more thing to look out for isn't it i suppose the best option here is to buy direct from well-known manufacturers
1: oh i would say so yeah avoid websites like uh wish uh what's the other new one uh timu Temu, Temu. yeah but those websites are well-known places where people will try and sell knockoff fake uh ssds uh, micro sds all other types of storage knockoffs it's of knockoffs just-
0: yeah, knockoffs of knockoffs.
1: <laughs> unbranded, unbranded uh, <laughs> hardware. Yeah, just It's just not worth the hassle, is it? Uh,
0: so, yeah, keep an eye on for that, particularly if you're building a PC or if you need some external storage. Stick to trusted avenues and well-known names such as Samsung, Kingston, Crucial, SanDisk.
1: I would say so, yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and as Christian said, buy from reputable outlets uh, and buy direct from those companies if you can.
0: Does your phone listen to you for ads, or is it just a coincidence? Now, this is a uh, it's just something I wrote a, a while ago, and I've updated it a few times over the years, because uh, I'm intrigued to see how this uh, whole topic develops. We've talked about it before on the Really Useful Podcast, and I've recently updated this article after conducting it. Not, I've, I've, and, and not particularly scientific, but at the same time, slightly interesting um, test okay, to try and prove whether my phone was listening to me or not. Just give you a bit of uh, context here, Uh, there was a bit of a fuss a few years ago that um, adverts were appearing on phones after people were having conversations about the topics. Now, it could quite reasonably be that you or some of the people sat around you sharing the same, for instance, if you're in a public Wi-Fi area, um, sharing the same IP address could have you know, look on their own phones who uh, contribute to the conversation in some way. That's just an example. Uh, I noticed a few months ago, actually I, I, more than a few months ago, that Google News was uh, displaying things that I thought I hadn't been talking about. I thought I had been talking about, but, but I hadn't searched. So, while companies are saying, no, we don't listen to you, I thought I'm going to compile a list of really stupid, disparate things that I don't talk about. And then talk about them. So, I compiled a list of cookware, aquaponics, rugby league, Soviet poets, the actor Bill Paxton, basements, the actress Hannah Waddingham, the, whose uh, <laughs> fusion act, Spooky Tooth, and, <laughs> and botulism. I did tell you it was a wide selection of things. Ah, wow. And, um... Then I would instigate conversations with my wife on these topics, (laughs) ensuring she didn't have a phone so she didn't look anything up, (laughs) which would have been useful for her, let's be honest, because she knows nothing about (laughs) most of these things. Um, And not a single topic appeared as adverts in my Google News Feed or anywhere else on my phone, not as pop-ups on on, uh, apps or games, not as inbox spam. Now, I am not saying this is cut and dried, and that's the end of it. Because I you know, I still have that feeling that maybe things are being used that I say to then direct adverts to me. But if it is, it's very subtle, and it's certainly not as uh, obvious as it is with you know, you buy something, and then th- for the next three weeks you are seeing adverts for it. Like, no, I've already bought it. It's not like that. So, what do you what do you think, Gavin? You got any takeaways from this?
1: So, <laughs> I've had uh, instances in the past where I do feel like the phones have been listening. Yeah. I can't remember the exact topic it was, but a similar situation. My wife and I were talking about something and then, you know, I looked at the phone and lo and behold, there was an advert for something related to it. I was like, yeah. that's incredibly uncanny. Like, how has that happened? But I think a lot of the time uh, people forget how good targeted advertising is. Um so those instances yeah. where people say oh I was in a shopping center stood outside a Woolworths and then suddenly I got an advert for a Woolworths. Um that's a not a brilliant example. That's not going to happen, is it? There's no Woolworths no. left. No, yeah, for sure. Well, in <laughs> Australia maybe. Oh, okay. Um yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the gist of it is is that you, on facebook if you've got location tracking settings turned on then they know where you are and they'll show you ads relating to the stuff that's around you which is what sometimes gives the impression that your phone is listening so it's not necessarily and i wouldn't 100 percent say this is the truth they're not necessarily listening to your conversations but they're saying oh you know a better one might be he's outside a walmart so we'll show him adverts for what's inside the warmer, or we'll show him adverts for what's a, a competing store. Like we'll show him something for Lowe's or something like that um, to get him to go elsewhere, depending on who's given them more advertising money, yeah, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is one of However, the, um,
0: this is, that's just to interrupt. That's one of the um, risks of using shopping mall Wi-Fi as well, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. So yeah. the, they have a shopping mall Wi-Fi can track you around, uh, and similar with Bluetooth tracking beacons. Did they make those illegal, or did I did I imagine that? Um, but similarly, you can be tracked all the way around these stores to see where you stand, what you ponder on, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So it's um, there's there's more than enough instances of it to make it feel like it's a real thing aren't there yes
0: absolutely yes but um it seems that it's not and uh you know no no, no not enough discussion about soviet poets in the world either i've discovered
1: well that's the crying shame here christian isn't
0: it? I th- well yeah i think you're right there or, or or indeed appreciation of spooky tooth uh we're gonna move on should you use facebook marketplace now, this is something, um, we've got a list of pros and cons by Kaiser Kalim on the site, uh, which was published a uh, f- few months ago. And there are proofs, pr- pros and there are cons. I'm just going to briefly go through these and then give you some of my own experience with this that's been achieved over the past few days. Um, so, uh, pros of using Facebook Marketplace, um, simplified buying and selling. There's no messing around like you get with eBay. You, you know, when you're using eBay, there's kind of a, there's a bit of a time overhead. With eBay, isn't there? Which you don't get with Facebook Marketplace. Um, you get a uh, uh, nearby suggestion, so it tells you stuff that's um, nearby that you can sell. Uh, and Marketplace works under that. Uh, there's a simple user interface again, minimizing the uh the, the overhead there. And there's no hidden fees. You decide the shipping charges, and buyers can set price limits. Their own price limits, what they're willing to pay. Now there are some uh, downsides to Facebook Marketplace. There's the risk of unsafe meetups. There is um, no sort of digital store option on Facebook, like an Etsy or whatever, or like an eBay store. Um, There's no buyer protection, which is key. And getting recognised and building uh, recognition and engagement is difficult as well. And uh, there's no storage space given to sellers for their items. So you're responsible for sending and receiving packages at your own risk. Uh, Now, I have a uh, item that I'm trying to shift It's right behind me. Here's a little clue to what it is. It's a bell on wheels. And um, I've had it listed (laughs) on Facebook Marketplace for a few weeks now. And absolutely, while there has been sort of vague levels of interest... um, it's been a cross between people who don't live anywhere nearby to be able to pick up this bell on wheels, or they just seem to be people who are you know, fishing for, uh, I'll give you some money, you send me this by UPS. I'm thinking, no, I'm not doing that. That's that's not the deal at all. It is. It does seem to me for something like this to be inherently risky. I really don't like using it, but the problem is... I really hate eBay and eBay's fees, but I'm feeling like I'm gonna to have to actually move on to eBay with this.
1: I sell quite a bit on eBay. If only because it offers better seller protection and you are less less likely to encounter scams. Not you know, they definitely still exist. Yeah. And I've been targeted a few times for various um, sort of electronic i electronic items I've sold on eBay. You often get Messages and what have you, but once you know how to spot them, you spot them very fast. Yeah. Um. And you just ignore them, block, ignore, report, move on. Um. The thing with Facebook Marketplace that I find is that there's a lot of ads on there that are also completely fake. Um, yeah. So there was a spate um this summer. I'm not sure if it was national or, or just in my area, but people listing. Uh, like outdoor furniture and stuff like that, that should cost maybe two, three, 400 pounds. Um, and it was being sold for 79, always 79 pounds. So what? once you realized that that was a fake ad, you'd see them all the time because you'd be like, well, that's 79. Oh, that's 79 pounds as well. So what are the chances? I was like, oh my gosh, all these people just want to make 79 pounds. It's incredible." <laughs> um, <laughs> But, um, I mean, I have used Facebook Marketplace. It does have some useful stuff, and I've bought stuff on it before, but I find it just a bit of a faff, to be honest. Mm. The amount of messaging and backing forth you have to go through just to get a sale, and you think you've got a sale, and then people drop off the face of the earth, and all this sort of stuff, so yeah. it's a bit, bit tiring for me.
0: Yeah, I'm not, uh, based on this, I am not a fan of Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> Well, incredibly, that brings us to the point of the show where we uh, share our recommendations with you. And I, uh, I'm i excited to say I don't have one at the moment. <laughs> but so if Gavin yeah, would I like to go, go first. first, I'll uh, have a good old think.
1: <laughs> I've got you, Christian, don't worry. Um, so, this week, um, and I would like to tell you about Steam Next Fest. If you've never seen Steam Next Fest, it's the celebration of upcoming games on the Steam gaming platform. Uh, they showcase all manner of games that may be coming out in the next few weeks, next few months. Uh, and it's a time where Steam is suddenly filled with opportunities to play demos. And I don't know uh, about you, Christian, but I miss the eras of buying a gaming magazine. Oh, yeah. Having a demo disc on the Mm. front and going home and being like, oh, what have I got? You know, um, and not enough games have demos these days. So I always really look forward to Steam Next Fest because, you know, they just... I could see there's 994 games on Next Fest. Wow. uh, And all of them have a playable demo. So that's just awesome. I mean, I wish I had way more time to actually try and get involved in some of these but a few uh that i've picked out that i think people might be interested in are uh deep rock galactic survivor this is um, a top-down um single-player version of deep rock uh deep rock galactic the sort of space exploration with uh dwarfs um game which is like really really good fun so this looks absolutely really really uh, incredible I'm really excited about this uh, there's also the demo for the upcoming Robocop Rogue City game Ooh. Uh, which which I have installed the demo for this I'm going to play it this evening once I finish work so again really excited to have a go on this uh, and there's a few other ones as well there's Warhammer Age of Sigma the Realms of Ruin an upcoming uh, Warhammer game again been watching this for ages it's going to be great to get a go on it um, and one that's a little more niche is uh, the Japanese Driftmaster where you're driving around the uh, roads and streets of Japan drifting around cars and changing your car and upgrading and all that sort of stuff so there's a few like really cool games on there that uh, a you might have missed to begin with and B may not have been able to play a demo for before you try and you know playing a demo is just such good fun It really, it's the only way that you can really know if you want to get a game you can watch Twitch streamers, you can watch YouTube trailers but playing it for a couple of hours or more is really what you want
0: that's a really good recommendation do you know what I um, I saw this Robocop game mentioned a few days ago somewhere and I thought I don't know anything about this so I looked it up and I thought oh wow this looks really good
1: it does look really good, yeah. I must—I had only found out about it a couple of months ago, and then I've been tracking the development since then. And um, yeah, I think it looks really good. It's one of those games where I'm like, oh, I probably need to buy a new graphics card, but you know, we'll just have to go with what we have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I wonder if it'll uh, run on Steam Deck. Oh,
1: well, that'd be good, wouldn't it?
0: Wouldn't it just, yeah? Okay, thanks to you, I now have a recommendation.
1: What do we got? What do we got?
0: <laughs> Addict Media. Mm. Okay, so this What's is that? a this is a uh, British uh, publishing company uh, that produces two regular magazines: Amiga Addict and Pixel Addict. Amiga Addict, you can probably guess, is about the retro game platform, the Amiga. Pixel Addict is a more general look. It describes itself as, well, it is Britain's best-selling digital culture magazine. And this is, I think, this is your probably your yeah, entry point. Uh, is pixel addict it covers everything across all areas of uh, sort of digital culture really it's a lot of fun to read it it uh, has plenty of retro stuff in it but it also has modern stuff in there as well they come from the uh, the same publishing house addict media they've um, in the last sort of uh, 18 months they've started they started online and they've in the last 18 months they're now able to sell through WH Smith in the UK and uh, I expect I understand they're trying to get into uh, new stands in other territories as well. Now, thanks to Gavin mentioning cover discs, Amiga Addict has a cover disc. Uh, if you subscribe, it's not a physical disc, if you subscribe, you also get a disc label, a three-and-a-half-inch disc label, um, that ships with the magazine. And you, then you get a QR code or a URL in the magazine to uh, go and download the games or whatever. It's just the fact that it has a label, which I find very exciting. And, of course, you know, the cover disc was... Um, you know, it, as Gavin says, it was really, really important, certainly in the UK, back in the day for buying uh, games. And you know, they transferred into uh, CDs. I've got lots of CDs and DVD cover discs in a pile right next to me. So that gave me the idea of this. But, Gavin, there's an added dimension because, as well as Amiga Addict and Pixel Addict, they've released a special collector's magazine called, can you guess what it's called?
1: Uh, Commodore addicts.
0: No, Amstrad Addict.
1: <laughs> oh, Amstrad, nice. Yeah, which right. uh,
0: has a focus on the uh, old CPC 464 and also has an interview with the man himself, Sir Sir Alan Sugar, in the back of the magazine. Um, oh, nice, very so, nice. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan of these magazines and uh, I would recommend, uh, if you have any interest in digital culture or um, if you're a fan of the Amiga computer, is uh, to uh, check them out. Uh, I think the uh, website is addict.media. I will uh, put the uh, the link for that and everything else we've discussed in this week's Really Useful Podcast in the show notes. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh, We'll be back for another edition soon. In the meantime, take care. Bye for now.